all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. You're listening to a podcast of Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning, and thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Well, with the COVID-19 vaccination issue, there are those who believe in it and those who don't. Many people are dying or ending up with terrible long-term effects. You've heard about them. But the misinformation seems to be winning over science with some people. So how did we get to this point? Some have gone as far as to suggest that those who don't get the vaccine should get shouldn't get in the way of the medical treatment of others who did and need hospitalization for surgery or other medical issues. That's happening right now. There continue to be fights about mask wearing. Huge gatherings in defiance of wearing masks are occurring. You've seen them all on television. You've heard all about them on radio. Though there are scientific studies that have looked at masks, have looked at vaccines. We continue to hear about people in radio and social media and television that insist that there's no evidence that masks work. What is that about? We know they help. So I want to hear from you about why you got the vaccine and why you wear a mask. Or I want to hear from you if you haven't gotten the vaccine, why not? What is your concern? What about the mask? Why don't you wear one? Why do you resist? So please call in. Let us know. There won't be judgment. I promise today, I think I've heard this over and over lately by other experts who say, you know, probably empathy is the way to go. There's way too much anger out there. We need to work on understanding each other. So I want to better understand the hesitancy and better understand how we might need to change the message that we have out there, because for some it is just absolutely not working. So we'll give you the facts today, and I am delighted to tell you that we have an infectious disease expert, Dr. Charlotte Hobbs. She's from UMMC. She's a mother of an 11-year-old and a wife. This is a person who is in the middle of the COVID-19 battle with her family and with her patients. She's trying to protect us. So, um, Dr. Hobbs, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you had a conference before this one. You have a conference right after it uh, at noon talking to the pediatricians. You are a busy lady. Oh, boy, everybody's busy these days. But thank you so much, Dr. Butchers, for having me on today. I'm happy to be here. So, 
So, Dr. Hobbs, we already have a, a caller online, um, Belle, in Yazoo City, and she wants us to talk a little bit about what's going on in the hospital. So let's put Belle on. Hi, Belle. Um, tell us what your question is today or maybe your comment. It's a comment. Sure. Um, I just want to say, I'm sorry, I missed your introduction, but I just wanted to say that uh, last night, Magna Chakabarty of On Point, uh, discussed the virus in Mississippi, and I thought it was very fair. Uh, she was not condescending toward Mississippi at all. And uh, Dr. Woodward was on there, Dr. Dobbs, a journalist, right. and a nurse that told about some really harrowing procedures that medical staff have to do on these virus patients. And um, she also interviewed a uh, uh, a school superintendent, but um, if anybody missed that, uh, if they can get it on podcast, I just thought it was outstanding, and um, I really appreciate uh, MPB for carrying that program. That's all I had to say, and good luck to you all. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. And yes, that was an excellent program. Dr. Hobbs, I don't know if you have any comments further about what's going on in the hospital, but I know when we talked yesterday, you noted that there have been one emergency meeting after another trying to figure out how to handle this. Right, right. So thanks, Bill, for that good information. And then I'm, I'm excited to hear that um, there is more information being disseminated to um, all the people who actually need to hear it. Um, and I think actually what people do need to hear is something they could see with their own eyes if they actually just drive by um, the medical center and they can see the field hospitals that are being set up. This is a clear um, signal that um, the pandemic in the state of Mississippi has gotten acutely worse um, and over a very quick period of time due to the hypertransmissibility or the very easy transmissibility of this new Delta variant, which itself probably as a result of not enough people getting vaccinated who are eligible. Uh, and so what we are seeing in the hospital, unfortunately, is something I think none of us anticipated we would have seen again after we knew that there was um, not only one, but a number of safe and effective vaccines, again, for those who are eligible, um, that um, people could get that significantly reduces the impact of disease burden um, for SARS-CoV-2 or the virus that causes COVID-19. We did see quite a surge earlier in the year, um, predominantly when this infection was first described, um, we most frequently saw severe manifestations in adults. Um, and with the advent of the vaccine, we hoped that that would reduce that. Um, but unfortunately now, we're seeing not only the resurgence of this virus due to the unfortunate large proportion of the population in the state that remains unvaccinated. And we're seeing large surges both on the adult side. I've discussed this with my adult infectious disease colleagues. And again, as you can see, the field hospitals being built and everybody sees on the news what's happening here in the state, unfortunately. Um, we're seeing this resurgence on the adult side. What's different now, however, is the sheer proportion of infections overall is so great that on the pediatric side, we are seeing a percentage still of children who are also uh, becoming infected and uh, becoming quite sick. 
So whereas before, it seems that on the pediatric side, we were having some cases of severe acute COVID. We were seeing post-COVID associated syndromes such as this multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children. Now we are actually seeing, because of the sheer overall numbers, a larger number of children being hospitalized. Some of those kids actually do not have some of these classic pre-existing conditions that you would associate mm-hmm. with more severe disease. And on top of that, we're now seeing an uptick in the number of the multi-system inflammatory syndrome cases, which we anticipate um, will continue to increase because those tend to peak about a month after community peaks of infection. I And I don't think we're actually even at the peak. Basically, probably even on the pediatric side, yeah. worse than what we've seen so, before. So, Dr. Hobbs, it's, it's just dire right now. Uh, we just had a fifth child in Mississippi die of COVID-19, right? Um, a 13-year-old. Yes. Um, and I I don't believe that child was vaccinated. I don't know that for a fact, but I do know that we now have a vaccine out for children, but I hear a lot of hesitancy there, and I want to talk to you about that in a moment. Um, But I know Michelle had a, Michelle McAdoo, my producer, um, had a question for you. Michelle, go ahead. Good morning, and thanks for being on the show with us today. Um, I actually have two questions. The first one is how or why are we seeing an emergence of cases for children now versus when we first saw COVID in America? Number two question is this morning on CBS News, they were saying that if you've gotten those first two shots, that we should get a booster shot. Can you talk a little bit about that and tell us more about this booster shot? And before you do that, let me um, just remind our listeners, we have Dr. Charlotte Hobbs, who is infectious disease expert, talking with us about vaccine hesitancy, about the true facts about what's going on right now so that you can understand why we continue to talk about this topic. I want you to give us a call and join in with your questions or comments at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877 7464, or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. So, Dr. Hobbs, do you want to uh, maybe restate uh, Michelle's question and, and address those for us now? Sure, absolutely. So, the first question, Michelle, and thanks for your question, uh, question plural, um, is why are we seeing this um, tremendous resurgence in children now? Um, and so, the answer to that is a little bit complex in the sense that. We've always seen cases in children. Um, most frequently, we don't see these very severe manifestations of SARS-CoV-2 or the virus that causes COVID-19 disease in children. But at this point, it's a question of numbers because the overall numbers in the state are so tremendously huge at this point. And the proportion of children, even though that's a relatively small proportion that do tend to have severe outcomes with SARS-CoV-2, does tend to be less frequent a percentage of a much larger number is a larger number. So what we are actually seeing in the pediatric population is a reflection of the surge of a hypertransmissible variant on the background of a largely unvaccinated patient population. Nationwide, we actually have seen a shift in states that have better vaccinate, or should I say more optimal vaccination rates, um, higher um, vaccine acceptance, Um, We've still seen shifts in the um, number of cases from places where a lot of elderly 
um, patients have been vaccinated down to people in their 20s and 30s, and now, of course, even in more so the pediatric population, so under age 21 or under age 18, depending on which definition you go by. But the long and the short of it is that this is a question of numbers. And because the numbers of adults who are infected now with a hypertransmissible variant on the background of a low vaccination rate are so large, we see a reflection of this in the pediatric community. We know that children, especially younger children, are more likely to get infected from adults than Dr. the reverse. Dr. Hobbs, um, before you go on, I want to ask you a, a question related to that. So our numbers have gotten huge. Um, more children are getting sick because our numbers are huge. Do you Would you comment about masks? And the fact that there continue to be people in high places who are talking about why do we have to wear masks if we got our vaccine? Shouldn't there be a reward? Now, my reward for getting a vaccine is hopefully not dying from COVID-19 because I'm better protected. But can you comment on why everyone, those who believe in the vaccine and those who don't still need to wear a mask? Will you comment on that, please? So from a, from a pediatric perspective, um, we, we know that children under the age of 12 do not have any sort of option for a vaccine. And by the way, there are very few treatments available for children under the age of 12 on top because the emergency use authorizations for the use of the vaccine only applies to children ages 12 and up. And as I mentioned also, I'd like to talk about that briefly, that again, we have fewer options for treatments to to prevent children from developing severe disease um, because those emergency use authorizations or EUAs only apply to those 12 and up. Um, But the masking, um, universal masking recommendations that have been supported by the American Academy of Pediatrics, which align with CDC recommendations, and of course with the Pediatric Infectious Disease Society recommendations, are, are being supported specifically because Children are vulnerable to infection. They cannot be vaccinated. And we do know that there are potentially severe consequences of even children who are previously healthy becoming infected with SARS-CoV-2 infection. Um, On top of that, we have a hypertransmissible variant. And again, on the background of an overall population level, low um, vaccine rate in um, many parts of the country, including our own. And we're seeing the consequences of that now um, in terms of the hospitals. So the masking right now is not only because we have a hypertransmissible variant, but really because we need to protect those in the community who are vulnerable. We know at the hospital that those who are coming in who are quite sick are, with few exceptions, those who unfortunately are not vaccinated. We also know that children under the age of 12 cannot be vaccinated, and we're seeing a higher proportion of children come in with severe illness. So it only stands to reason that we should do what we can to protect those who are vulnerable, um, and in particular children. And the way we could do that is to make sure, as a population, we are vaccinated to protect ourselves and our children. And masking right now is basically the only thing we have in our tool, in addition to community-based vaccination and hand hygiene, to protect children from this hypertransmissible variant. So, Dr. Hobbs, we have another caller, Wanda from Brandon, who has a question about the overall health of Mississippians. Wanda, thanks for calling in. Go ahead and ask Dr. Hobbs your question, if you will. Sure. Um, Hi, thanks for having me. And I would like to know if the overall health of Mississippians has anything to do with um, how 
contagious and and how bad it's spreading. I follow functional medicine and and nutrition and how that prevents heart disease and diabetes and you know hopefully it's it's keeping me well. I I stay away from. I still stay stay six feet away. I'm all about six feet away, but still, I think nutrition would play a large part. So that's a good question. Um, basically, the short answer is in all of those who are vaccine eligible, that is everybody over the age of 12, we should vaccinate because that actually can reduce your risk of SARS-CoV-2 infection. And it is true that um, in certain patient populations, we know the disease can manifest more severely. So those with underlying conditions, as you cited, diabetes, um, people who um, are obese, they can suffer um, more severe manifestations of the disease. So at a population level, um, it is true that um, if, you know, given that unfortunately there is a population within the state that does, you know, fall under these categories, yes, it is an extremely vulnerable population, but the vaccine protects whether or not you have that condition or not. The studies were done in patients and subjects that had all types of underlying conditions. And the basic message is that um, we should vaccinate to protect everyone because everyone can be protected. Again, vaccinate those who are eligible. Does that make sense? It does. Um, Dr. Hobbs, thank you. Would you comment also on the the asthma issue that many people are, are healthy, no obesity, no diabetes, but many in Mississippi suffer from asthma. That increased the the danger of the virus also, increases it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So there are a number of underlying conditions. I just mentioned um, obesity and diabetes, but hypertension, um, underlying um, cardiac disease. Um, and as you um, cite Dr. Butros very, you know, of course, astutely, um, asthma, which is a very prevalent condition, um, you know, nationwide. Um, and asthma itself is a particular condition that does um, associate with potentially more severe manifestations of the disease. So the idea to protect those who are vulnerable is one that I cannot stress enough, either by making sure those who are eligible to be vaccinated do get vaccinated to protect themselves and also to protect um, those in the community who are vulnerable, such as children who cannot be vaccinated um, um, as well. And so the idea is, again, the vaccine is safe and effective and can protect those with these underlying conditions. And I would also like to highlight and mention that with the surges we're seeing in the hospital, the surges, as I mentioned, are much greater than we've seen previously. But part of the reason also for that is as people perhaps, you know, have become a little bit less careful over the past few months, traveling in the summer, social gatherings, we've seen this tremendous resurgence of other respiratory viruses, such as respiratory syncytial virus, which can be concomitant as an infection with SARS-CoV-2 or the virus that causes COVID-19 or can exist independently. So I'm mentioning this specifically because we're coming into classic respiratory virus season, although we're seeing right. late respiratory viruses now. But I would also like to mention influenza. And influenza season is looming. And we know that there is a vaccine for the flu. So with COVID circulating, late seasons for these other respiratory viruses and flu coming up, I would just like to reiterate, to protect these vulnerable populations, they should get vaccinated if they're eligible. Those who cannot be vaccinated, like our children, need to be protected until they can be um, with masking and um, hand sanitizing and washing and, again, vaccination for all eligible populations. Right. 
right. Okay, thank you. Um, we have another caller. We have Tommy, who has a question. Hi, Tommy. Yes, ma'am. Where are you located? In Kosciuszko. Kosciuszko, right north of us. Okay, well, tell us what your question is. Well, uh, my wife has been going through uh, chemotherapy, and her oncologist told her that she needed to get a booster shot. And so we, I started, this is about a couple of weeks ago, I started trying to find a booster shot and couldn't find it. And then now there's good discussion about it. And so what I wanted to know was, what is the procedure that I go through to get these booster shots, one for her, one for me? Good question, Tommy. Dr. Hobbs. So, Tommy, thanks for that question. And it's it's interesting because I was on the phone to my own parents this morning. My father um, is a survivor uh, of prostate cancer and um, is continuing on therapy at this time. And so I was answering this very question to my to my dad and mom this morning. Um, and so the current um, booster recommendations from CDC um, or the current um, uh, recommendations, I should say, from the FDA and, and um, basically what we're recommending now is that there are very specific categories of patients who are immunosuppressed who actually can go today and, and get their vaccines. And if they go to any vaccine distribution center, all they basically have to say is that they have an immunosuppressive condition because this is based on the honor system right now. Um, if you don't fall into the specific categories that have been delineated, technically um, one does um, have to wait until further recommendations come forth from the FDA. Um, so those who actually fall into these specific categories of um, being on immunosuppressive therapy or um, therapies for cancer, which are immunosuppressive, are basically in a group now, if you will, of those who are eligible for booster shots. And it's anticipated over the next few weeks that um, further um, information authorizations will be forthcoming um, that will allow um, even um, greater numbers within the community of those who say were vaccinated eight or nine months ago to go ahead and get their booster shots. And that's going to be um, released in a, in a staged fashion according to official approvals from FDA and CDC. But the short answer to your question is you can go to a vaccine distribution center and tell them that you qualify for the shot based on immunosuppression and um, that alone um, is uh, sufficient to um, acquire the booster shot for those who are immunosuppressed at this time. Okay, that's great. Now, should I take my card with me and have them to sign it and put it down in third shot? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Tommy, those are great questions. Dr. Hobbs, I want to continue with that question that Tommy had. So his wife can go in and say she's immunosuppressed. Can Tommy say, I live with my wife who is immunosuppressed. I want to have the booster also to guarantee that I don't give her um, COVID-19. So can you answer that one? Can he do that? Well, so right now there is this very um, staged um, recommendation that is coming um, basically from the top. And so right now the recommendation for the booster is limited to those with um, immunosuppressive conditions. And those definitions are clearly, you know, delineated on the CDC website and the Mississippi State Department of Health website. Um, for those who are living with those with immunosuppressive conditions as of right now, 
um, the recommendations have not um, surrounded those particular conditions. But as I said, I was talking to my mom and dad this morning about that, and my recommendation to them was dad can go because he's on active treatment, but mom, you may have to wait a few more weeks for the official recommendations to allow for you to get a booster too. But I anticipate those will be forthcoming in the next few weeks. Okay. Okay. That's good. Thank you. Our doctor, her doctor, the oncologist, had told her to get it, and he said, because I live with her, I should get it too. So I'll, I'll try, and uh, I thank you for the information very much. Absolutely, and thank you for being so careful and cautious, and, and absolutely thank you for bringing up the idea of bringing your card for the doctor. so important. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Hobbs, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing before we go to our break. Will you, in a couple of minutes, explain exactly what getting a booster means? Is that the same shot that you got before? Will you go through that for our listeners? Yes. So, sorry. Um, So, great question. Thank you so much for asking it. So, um, a lot of the information with regard to um, booster shots, um, of course, has been reviewed um, from um, data um, within the United States. So these, any of these recommendations that come out for the vaccines, I'd just like to underscore for those who are listening, um, really for anybody uh, in general, is that you know, there is a rigorous process to review the data behind the recommendations that are made. So there is you know, very good scientific rationale behind making any recommendation that comes out. Um, so number one. Number two, we also have the benefit of looking to other countries that have already initiated um, booster um, shot recommendations, such as Israel, the United Kingdom, um, and basically other countries have already instituted um, recommending booster shots for various populations who are considered more vulnerable. So that's point number two. But to answer your question directly, the idea of a booster shot is to boost, if you will, either a response that was made to begin with, or to potentially increase the number of those who respond to the vaccine. So the idea behind a booster shot for vulnerable patient populations is that perhaps if you were you know, elderly or under immunosuppression, you may not have made a sufficient response to begin with to protect against SARS-CoV-2 infection or the virus that causes COVID-19 disease. And because um, the observation has been made and data has been reviewed that shows that those who are um, immunosuppressed are comprising a more significant number of those um, who are succumbing to disease, even in the presence of having had the vaccine. That's the basis upon which this recommendation is being made to um, allow those who are immunosuppressed another shot, if you will, at developing a more robust um, immune response. And for, you know, over the next few weeks, we see more information come out with regard to um, boosters. The idea is that there may be a degree of waning immunity, if you will, or basically over time, your immune response sort of um, uh, decreases. And so the idea, similar to, for example, a tetanus shot, is that you can actually boost um, the individual who's getting vaccinated's immune response to make it even stronger to combat um, SARS-CoV-2 infections. Okay, great. Thank you. That's that's very helpful. We are going to go to our break, and when we come back, we'll continue talking about the COVID-19 
vaccine hesitancy, wearing masks, any, anything you want to talk about as far as this goes. Tell us why, if you haven't gotten vaccinated, why you haven't. Give us a call, one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress with Dr. Charlotte Hobbs, and we'll be right back. Dr. Susan Buttress with a Mindful Minute. Children grow up so fast, before you know it, they'll be starting kindergarten. A good way to watch for school readiness is to mark developmental milestones like talking in sentences, counting, writing, and playing well with others. Positive adult-child relationships are key to helping children meet these milestones. You already have the tools you need. Talking, singing, and reading are fun ways to help children learn and thrive. One way to celebrate these special moments is to use a milestone checklist. Healthcare providers are also a great resource to help make sure your child's on the mark and ready for the next step. Examples of developmental milestones, fun family activities, and additional resources can be found at MississippiThrive.com. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Dr. Charlotte Hobbs, infectious disease expert, and we're talking about COVID-19 vaccine hesitancy specifically um, and, and mask wearing and just making sure that we get rid of some of the myths and talk about the truths that we, we really try to make sure that you understand what scientific data we really do have out there about this SARS-V2. Um, Dr. Hobbs, uh, we've got a couple of callers on the line, but before we get to them, I just wanted you to talk just a little bit more about the, that booster. The booster is actually the same as, as the shot that we get, correct? The vaccine that we get. Yes. It's, it's not, not, no special formulation or anything different, right? Absolutely. It's the same thing. Absolutely. So the same thing as, as, as everyone has had before is what the booster actually would be. Okay, great. So let's stay on the phones. We have Artis in Van Cleve. Artis, hi. You have a question about antibodies versus vaccine. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Ask that to Dr. Okay. Oaks. Well, yeah. I, was, I was wondering, the, um, I, I, I was diagnosed positive. I've been in quarantine for like 20 days now. My daughter's a positive first. And anyway, I had the, um, the myclonal antibodies, the, uh, the infusion, and I was wondering how that compares to 
uh, the vaccine, how will that keep me safe? Um, is that is that an alternative to, to a vaccine? How long does it last? Because I know it's like 90 days um, until I can get the vaccine now. So it's just one yep. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Great, great question. And first of all, I hope you're doing okay and feeling okay. And I'm sorry to hear your daughter is not well. I hope that you guys are all doing okay. I'm very, very pleased to hear that you actually were able to get the antibody treatment, the monoclonal antibody treatment, because I do think that a lot of people are not aware of that particular treatment. And so for um, even those who are vaccinated who, you know, on the rare um, case that they have um, conditions that make them more susceptible to more severe disease, it is a consideration even for people who are vaccinated to actually go to um, a um, emergency room or infusion center. And actually the Mississippi uh, State Department of Health has a list of those centers on their website to actually um, get the monoclonal antibody infusions because they actually, um, if used early enough, can actually really reduce your chances of developing severe disease. And basically that's important for everybody to know because once you're sick enough to go into the hospital and be hospitalized, that is no longer an option. But to answer your question directly, um, the answer that you posed with regard to the vaccine um, and the timing between your receiving the monoclonal antibody and vaccine is exactly correct. It is 90 days. So the monoclonal antibody is basically um, an antibody, which is a protein that your body makes um, in response to um, a foreign, you know, uh, antigen, if you will, or protein that comes to your body, i.e. in this case, an infection. And the antibodies that are made um, that you're referring to are basically super strong antibodies that block the ability of SARS-CoV-2 to basically get into the cells of your body that it wants to infect. The antibody, however, once it goes into your, your body and you're able to deal with the, you know, acute infection, over time will basically um, be consumed and, and, and go away. So those antibodies in your body are a passive way of immunizing you against SARS-CoV-2 in the sense that you'll have protection against that infection, but it will go away over the next few months. So while you're protected for the next few months, you know, you wouldn't need to get the vaccine at that time. But as soon as that time period is over, I would actually go straight and get your vaccine um, if you hadn't gotten it before, um, because really you have this sort of, it, it's a patch, if you will, over to getting you better. But really what you need is your own body's ability to recognize the infection. And we know that the vaccine induces a very tremendous immune response um, that, um, you know, is lasting for more than just a few months. And how boosters are needed, of course, remains to be seen. It, you know, sort of a lot of us anticipate it will be similar to the flu, um, you know, in the sense that we'll probably be, um, you know, re requiring, um, you know, serial um, vaccines to protect against SARS-CoV-2 as the years go on. But um, the short answer is um, your need to get vaccine um, because you receive this antibody has not gone away um, because basically your own body's response to a vaccine is a much better way of preventing disease than getting an antibody that's basically just going to get you through a very short period of time. That being said, again, I want to stress to everyone that this is actually an important treatment to know about, but also would like to mention that the emergency use authorization for these treatments only applies to those 12 and up. Again, so children um, do not have this option 
to have a treatment to reduce their chances of progressing to severe disease. So again, I just want to underscore the importance right. the level that people need. So we've got to protect our children. Got to protect our children. Right. Um, right. That was a great answer. Artists, I hope that took care of your question. So get the vaccine. Hope you recover. Glad you got the myoclonal antibody treatment. It's something everybody needs to ask about if you get sick. But the the other short answer is don't think that that is what you should wait and do instead of the vaccine, okay? Right. All right. Let's go to Tyler in Oxford. Tyler has, I think, a really good question about mask and vaccine. Tyler, go ahead. Uh, yes, ma'am. So it, it wasn't necessarily a question, just a comment. Um, because you were, you know, you would ask to hear from people that decided to, you know, wear a mask and get the vaccine. And right. a little bit of context, I'm, you know, 29-year-old white guy, I go hunting, you know, church, all that fun stuff. Um, and I did a little bit of time in the Marine Corps Reserves. And so when it came to wearing a mask, I mean, of course, our uh, our work, my, where I was working, required us to wear masks, but... Um, I didn't, you know, it wasn't a big of a fuss, that big of a fuss for me because the mask specifically, it's such a slight discomfort that if Mm -hmm. me wearing a mask saved one person, um, then, then it's worth it, you know, for a year or two or. Right. Thank you for saying that. Um, and, and thank you for saying who you were. I think. We've begun to have some stereotypical ideas of who wears masks and who doesn't and who gets vaccines and who doesn't. I, I don't think there's a particular stereotype, and we need to stop doing that and stop trying to determine what party somebody is in, what political party. So thank you for calling, Tyler. I really appreciate that. That was great. Yes, ma'am, Absolutely. This is definitely a public health issue. It's not a political issue. This is an issue of saving people's lives and, and saving children. There's no politics that goes into this. It should be public health. Public health. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to stay on the phones. I want to make sure we get to all of our callers. We have, is it Dita in South Mississippi about boosters and uh, mixing yeah. different kinds? Hi. Hi. Great Hi. question. Okay. Go oh, ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead and ask okay. it the way you want oh. to. <laughs> oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. That's okay. okay. I, I was listening to y'all on the air, and it was back. Okay, anyway. So, yes, um, I'm fully vaccinated, and, and my family, and we, you know, we were so excited. We were just dying. Couldn't wait for the vaccine to come out. Um, and so we've been fully vaccinated, and we're, you know, it's been a while. I got mine earlier than my age group because I learned there were waiting lines. Um, and then, well, I learned that uh, they were having, they were disposing down on the coast. There some incidences of them disposing of vaccines because there were not people not showing up. And so I went and waited and a few hours and got one. So anyway, it's been a while. And I know that the boosters are uh, coming out. Um, and I'm wondering about, uh, the mixing, say, because Pfizer has been determined to, well, one recent study said Pfizer is not as effective against Delta as Moderna. And then I'm wondering about the mixing of the mRNA types like Pfizer and Moderna 
along with, say, AstraZeneca or Johnson & Johnson, because those are different. And if you would maybe have increased immune um, protection if you get both kinds. So that's my long question. Thank Great question. You. Right. So um, firstly, you know, good, good for you. I'm so glad <laughs> you and your family are vaccinated, number one. So, so that's fantastic. Uh, and it's actually a really excellent question. So the current recommendations, again, for boosters are limited to those who are immune suppressed. There are very specific categories of patients who are eligible right now for the boosters. Again, over the next few weeks, we anticipate that more information will be forthcoming. The current recommendations, though, are you should try to stick to the original um, vaccine that you got, basically the same type of vaccine. There have been studies um, from other countries that have shown um, you know, we're both immune responses with the, the mixing of the vaccines, but the current recommendations are that you basically do try to stick to the same um, vaccine type that you got originally. Um, so that's the, the long and the short of it. But I think over the next few months, as additional recommendations come out, we may see some, you know, we may see some additional information. Okay, thank you. Um Dr. Hobbs, we're working you to death, but we're going to continue this because this is so important and people have such great comments and questions. Greg has a Thank comment you. on antibodies. So, Greg, talk to us. Uh, my question was, or comments also, uh, basically when you do have folks that are vaccinated, <coughs> excuse me, you know, they're told to wear a mask in many situations because even though they may not uh, come down with heavy symptoms, they're still shedding the virus, and, and I accept that. And that's how a lot of respiratory viruses do work. But when you contrast that with the unvaccinated, you can look on the CDC's website today, and it says for those folks who have had COVID, it's rare for them to be infected. Now, they do state in that same paragraph that they do recommend uh, a vaccine to boost your immune system. My problem with that or concern or, you know, desire is to actually see a study because um, if they state that it's rare for, you know, me to be reinfected, then I'm leery to get a vaccine. I mean, I can tell everyone right now, go to Google Cleveland Clinic um, a COVID study, and you can actually see a study that was produced by the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio, one of the best hospitals in the world, whereas they also uh, show that those who have been infected will be rare to ever get um, symptoms of uh, additional reinfection. So why should someone like me take a vaccine? Because there are adverse reactions. Uh, they pause Johnson & Johnson, I don't know their uh, current status on that, for blood clots. And I guess uh, the, uh, too many people were getting them, and it was too related, that they almost had to admit it. Because on the same CDC website, you can go to the bears as far as reactions for the other types of uh, uh, adverse reactions to vaccines, such as messenger RNA. And even on your show, I think you've admitted that uh, those vaccines have produced heart enlargements in young men. That's a, that's a severe reaction. You put anything into somebody and you risk an adverse reaction. I'm all for the MMR vaccine for children and adults who haven't had it, but we have to be honest with people and state that there's adverse reactions. And in I the think, hospitals... Yeah, Greg, 
We've got several callers waiting, and, and I'm just going to stop you there because I do think you're absolutely right. Every, every medication, every vaccine has potential side effects, every single thing that we take. In fact, alternative treatments, most of them, have significant side effects. What we have to remember, though, is that we pay, we, we have to uh, weigh the risk versus the benefits. And if the risk outweigh the benefits, then we need to go forward to try to save lives. That's where we're going with this. So I, I really appreciate your your comments and your thoughts. And it sounds like you're really navigating through and trying to read a lot in that in your reading reputable um, writings. But um, just keep in mind we're talking about risk versus benefits. So I actually think, yes, you're, you're reading these reputable sources, um, but it's, it's important to interpret them in, in, in the right context as well. Uh, you're talking about infection, and we know that people actually who are vaccinated can get infected with Delta. In fact, um, the data shows that people with Delta infection could even potentially transmit, and that research is ongoing. The difference, the difference is that if you are infected, you may not even know it, and there's nothing as severe as an infection in an unvaccinated person. So it's really outcomes that we're talking about. We're talking about not getting infected or not. We're talking about overall the severity of outcome because it is likely, it is possible that you could still get infected, but you will not end up in the hospital on a ventilator. And I just want to speak to the um, VAERS reporting system for CDC and the, the cases of myocarditis that you are alluding to. Those um, cases, um, that were reported in particular in younger um, men um, basically were very, very um, rare. Um, and uh, basically the overall stance of CDC and the American College of um, uh, the American um, Academy of Pediatrics and ACIT or the um, basically immunization um, committee that recommends vaccination have extensively reviewed the data and the um, conclusion is that these events are so incredibly rare. In fact, your right, chances of right. developing problems from COVID itself are much higher. So yeah, yeah. The the issue is that um, these we forget that millions and millions of people have been vaccinated, and we're talking about a few hundred. Important, but still risk versus versus benefits. All right, I want to get to the next three callers. We have Fletch um, in Coldwater, and I, I heard, Fletch, you just turned your radio down. Great. Uh, tell us what your comment is. So one of the comments on the comment that Dr. Hobbs had a few minutes ago, she said it's not political. Hopefully the science is not political, but unfortunately um, people's attitudes toward a mask and a vaccine has become political. So I don't know if we can fix that at some point, but if those those people uh, dispensing uh, education and and suggestions and stuff realize it's political, I don't know if that would help the group they're speaking to to be more or less likely to accept the uh, advice because it has become political. Uh, does that make sense? It does. And um, Fletch, I'll comment first. Um, in, in that it it is hard. How how can we get away from that? How can we change the message 
and remind everybody that yes, all of us want our rights. All of our all of us want our own political views, and we have the right to think the way we think. That's the wonderful thing about America. But this is more about protecting each other and taking care of each other. And if we could move right. that way, I, I don't know, Dr. Hobbs, any any quick comment on that? I think it's unfortunate that it progressed to a political discussion because it never should have. Um, this is not the case with many other diseases. And in addition to that, with freedom comes responsibility. Um, you can't run naked down the street um, for, for good reason, um, you know, because you live in a community and you don't want to offend your neighbors. Sorry for the, the crude analogy, but with freedom comes responsibility. And this is public health, not political. Um, and this is at a community level. What can we do to keep each other safe? And, and unfortunately, I think the politics um, have clouded um, some of our views and have distracted the crux of the conversation, which is really nobody wants to see their relatives die. Nobody wants to get sick. Nobody wants their children to get sick. So what can we do to make sure that we're providing education so people know how to prevent those things from happening? And we have the tools. Yeah, we, just need we to make do. Sure the conversation we have the tools. Thank you for that comment. Okay, we've got two more callers. We're going to try to get two. We have Judy in Philadelphia. Hi, Judy. It's Jody, but that's oh, close enough. Jody. Uh, good morning. <laughs> I, uh, uh, five days ago, I was uh, around someone that was uh, vaccinated completely for COVID, and they developed symptoms yesterday and in, are in the hospital today. Mm-hmm. I'm also uh, doubly vaccinated, and I have no symptoms, but I wanted to know when it would be too early for me to be tested. Really good question. Yeah. So I'm sorry, first of all, to hear that. Um, And overall, again, the the course of severe infection is not as severe um, on the context of a vaccine background. So so I'm hoping that um, I'm hoping that um, everything works out okay. But to answer your question directly, the recommendations with regard to a COVID exposure depend upon if you've been vaccinated or not, and because you've been vaccinated. Um, the recommendations are that you um, get tested as soon as you develop symptoms or if you remain asymptomatic, that you um, get tested within three to five days of that exposure. Okay. Well, I'm in five days now. So. Yeah. And so you could get tested as either if you have symptoms or, you know, as soon as possible or, not. or within yeah. three to five days of exposure, which is, which is even shorter than the prior right. recommendations initially stipulated a year ago because Delta is so hypertransmissible and that's 99% of what we're dealing with now. So the, the earliest that you, you can get tested is either the first onset of symptoms, if that precedes three to five days, or three to five days if you're vaccinated. Okay. All right. Thank you. I, I thank you. So uh, thank you for your call, Jody. Um, uh, Dr. Hobbs, along that same line, in the last 30 seconds, if someone does get the Delta variant and then they recover and want to get vaccinated, what is the length of time between disease clearing up and need for vaccination or when you can get vaccinated? Right. So the official recommendations are basically once you have completed the um, isolation period mm-hmm. that you can basically go and get vaccinated as soon as that's done. And the rationale behind that is so that you don't infect the person who's trying to vaccinate you. Um, but that's really the only um, uh, stipulation right now. So if someone has um, recovered from illness and they've 
completed their isolation period, they can basically go and get vaccinated um, as soon as that's complete. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful information. Dr. Hobbs, I cannot thank you enough. And callers and listeners, I cannot thank you enough. It always is what makes the show, as I always say. If you would like to listen to this entire show, if you only heard a portion of it, please make sure to listen to the podcast. You can download your favorite podcast app and search Southern Remedy, Relatively Speaking, and listen to this or any other show that you wish. This show is a production of MPB Think Radio, and we appreciate you. Stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now, coming up next on MPB Think Radio.